it made me an optimist for life. I just think you can't watch something like that happen through human cooperation and not come out of it believing that good things can happen. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. On a cold winter day in 1984, three skiers pushed off from the Massachusetts border with an audacious plan to ski the length of Vermont. They named the 300-mile route the Catamount Trail. It's now the longest ski trail in North America. On February 8th, these three skiers, Ben Rose, Paul Jarris, and Steve Bushy, now in their 60s, will once again set off to ski the entire length of the state and mark the 40th anniversary of the Catamount Trail. They'll ski all 31 sections of the trail over a 35-day period, ending on March 14th. The public is invited to join them for any leg of the journey. You can see their itinerary at catamounttrail.org. The Catamount Trail was originally conceived of by Steve Bushy, a geography major at the University of Vermont, and his high school friend Ben Rose. They had recently biked across the country together, and they were searching for their next big adventure. Jarris had been a classmate and regular adventure partner of Bushy's at UVM, was now a medical student. Bushy mapped out the ski trail as his geography master's thesis at Carleton University in Ottawa. Skiing the trail would provide proof of concept and be a grand adventure, but the trail was also about connecting and building communities. After skiing the trail, the three friends have had rich careers. Rose served as the first executive director of the Catamount Trail Association, later went on to lead the Green Mountain Club, and is now the recovery and mitigation chief at the Vermont Department of Emergency Management. Jarris was a family doctor for 20 years and also served as Vermont's commissioner of health under Governor Jim Douglas. Bushy runs Map Adventures, which makes popular recreational maps. On this Vermont Conversation, I speak with Steve Bushy, Ben Rose, Paul Jarris, and the current Catamount Trail Association Executive Director, Matt Williams. I began by asking Ben Rose why he's about to ski across Vermont again. Uh, why don't we ski across Vermont the first time? Uh, for the same reason. It's going to be a great adventure. Uh, with friends, uh, and it's an opportunity to support a wonderful thing in Vermont's landscape. I'm looking forward to the skiing. And originally, I had always thought we would do this for the 50th anniversary, which would be more of a story because we'll be in our 70s then, and maybe that'll still be possible. We'll see, but it's it's clearly possible right now for the 40th and. Uh, grateful for the opportunity. Well, Steve, let's go back to the beginnings. And um, the idea for the Catamount Trail sort of dates back to you and your cartography talents. You were a budding cartographer. Take us back to where the idea for a ski trail across Vermont came from. Well, I, I think it really started in some form or fashion when Ben and I bicycled cross country in summer of 1981. And that trip opened us up to the possibilities of longer extended trips. Uh, it, was a, it was a great trip. We had our, we had our um, trials. 
it wasn't necessarily easy, but when we got home, um, I, like others, Paul biked across the country, began searching for another adventure that was equal to crossing the continent. And it did not take long. Um, one day, one day in the fall of uh, 1981, I was working in Charlotte and I looked eastward at the Green Mountains. They were covered in snow. And the idea started creeping into my head. Why not ski the length of Vermont? And uh, I started doing some preliminary research and found out that there were quite a number of ski trails already established in the mountains, ranging north and south. And that got me going. I thought, well, it may be really possible to ski the length of Vermont now, now being 1981. And uh, so that, that started me on a geographic quest. I understand that the course that the Catamount Trail took was actually your master's thesis at Carleton University in Ottawa. Yes, after after several years of um, on and off research, I was able to turn it into a thesis and really dig in and detail the, the exact alignment uh, at that time of the Catamount route. So listeners may be wondering um, why there was a need for a new trail. There is the Long Trail, which runs across the ridgeline of Vermont, of the spine of the Green Mountains. Uh, why did you need a new end-to-end -end trail? Well, I, I thought at the time that it was possible because there were other long-distance trails in eastern North America. There were a number in Canada, but Vermont held such promise. It had um, a number of long-distance trails that kept going and going, like the Bolton Trap Trail. Uh, there were trails in central Vermont, in southern Vermont, and it just seemed to shout. It just seemed to shout that if you linked all these trails together, you'd have an pretty incredible adventure. And as somebody who has skied um, a variety of these trails, I, I will answer my own question. Um, the long trail being a hiking trail um, is not very good to ski because it turns out that um, with five feet of snow on it, you are skiing through the tops of trees. Uh, and well, Ben, you have a unique insight. You were the executive director of the Green Mountain Club at one point in your career. Uh, talk about the long trail and skiing. That is a bad combination, David. Um, the, the long trail is blazed in white and to some degree that's intentional as a disparagement. It's hard to find in many places in the winter and uh, you know, several feet of snowpack make it um, quite impenetrable. Also, the organizing geographic principle of the Long Trail is to stay on the height of land and have as much of Vermont beneath your feet as possible at any moment. So we don't even have switchbacks in a lot of places. And um, I'm certainly not prepared to risk my life by trying to ski the Long Trail. I'm 
I think maybe for a very few super technical skiers, it might be feasible, but not for mere mortals. Um, and then the organizing geographic principle of Steve's, you know, Catamount Trail idea was to find the existing ski routes and the, the sweet spots of, of snow belt, uh, you know, say between 1,500 and 2,500 feet east and west of the long trail uh, running parallel to it. And I think we also had the idea that two trails are better than one and that together the long trail and the Catamount Trail represent um, a, a public recreational landscape resource that's even richer and more interesting. Paul Jarris, let me ask, you were uh, in medical school. I think you were in your fourth year of medical school um, when uh, this trip across Vermont was planned. What led you to take time out of your medical studies to go skiing? I guess I didn't take any thought at all. It was uh, another adventure adventure for Steve and Ben and I. And it was like, you know, Steve mentions the idea. I'm like, yeah. Okay, when? And then it just became a matter of how do I organize my, the conversation with the dean to get the time off and things like that. So knowing that she didn't like to give people a year off, I asked for a year off and then was able to back it down for enough time to, we did a first ascent, a, a, another group, and it, it was a part of, did a first ascent of a river up in Quebec for a couple of months over the summer and then spent a couple of months up with the Yupik peoples in Alaska um, at that as a doctor and then came back to Vermont to do this ski trip and uh, it was a wonderful year of adventure. Did your medical skills, your newly acquired medical skills come in handy on the ski trip? Uh, mostly psychiatric skills with these guys. <laughs> um, well, you, uh, the day before you set out on your uh, ski across Vermont in 1984, you organized an organization called the Catamount Trail Association. Uh, ben, you do you want to say something? I mean, you don't need to organize a nonprofit organization to go skiing. I think most people understand. Why did you do that? We were seeking donations uh, and logistical support for the ski trip. And at the same time, uh, setting up for uh, what well, we were writing, volume one, edition one um, of issue number one of the Catamount Trail News and um, announcing the formation of what I think you were going to announce at some press conference was the Trans Vermont Nordic Ski Touring Association. And I would say that Steve and Paul um, came up with the, uh, the Panamount Trail as the name. And I think the morning before that press conference, I, I realized that the organization should be called the Panamount Trail Association if it was going to build and maintain the Panamount Trail. Um, and I, I do think that from, from before the trip, uh, Steve particularly saw that this wasn't just a ski trip, it was the inception of a trail and an organization. Steve, what uh, maybe you can jump in here. What was your vision? Because again, you don't need newsletters, press conferences, and nonprofits 
to ski across Vermont. So you had a bigger vision. What was it? Well, prior to the trip, the feedback regarding uh, an extended trail through Vermont was so positive that I think we would have been remiss if we had not formed a nonprofit. We would have been out there skiing and people would have been saying, you should really, we should really form an organization to, to make this happen. It, it, it seems real, let's make it real. And once we had an organization under our belt, when we were skiing, we were, we were saying, yes, we can do this. And we were basically signing up people as we went north. The organization grew day by day. And all the people that we had contacted to guide us from section one to two to three to four, et cetera, uh, became members. So it, it uh, pardon the pun, it snowballed as we went north. It sounds like this was an effort at sort of community organizing and community building while also being a big ski adventure. And I think in a sense, you could look at it as a movement, if you will, because um, I once talked to a, actually somebody to know their name, but I hesitate, but um, somebody with an idea say, how do we get this done? And this was a successful speaker of the U.S. House. They said, there's only a few of you. The only way to really get something big done is to start a movement. And in a sense, by uh, the way this was organized, by sky linking together as many ski areas as possible and having those ski pros guide us along the way, people join us along the way. Uh, this is a 40-year movement in which three of us, you know, in a sense, got it started. Um, but... It took what 20 years matt to finish the trail and then here we are 40 years later 15 or 1500 members 2500 members excuse me right matt and and you know thousands of people using it a year and so many volunteers landowners federal agencies um trail chiefs building the trail on and on and on and in fact continuing to develop as we have um climate warming so, Paul, uh, let me just ask, a movement to do what? What did you imagine this movement was about? Well, I have to personally say, um, I don't think I had the vision at the time to see the possibilities here. Um, so perhaps, Steve, you would. But um, it is a movement to build backcountry trails and access throughout the, throughout the, the, the length of Vermont for the state to bring people into the state to enjoy that resource of Vermont and to get people within Vermont out there on the trail, um, you know, in the backcountry, or even skiing it in a designated ski area. Um, I would say also, and I think Matt, you can speak to this, it's expanded in some ways and coming, you know, watching the organization, um, the, the, the youth programs out there um, are, are incredible to build the sport of cross-country skiing. And Matt, maybe you can talk about those because I think it's it's an incredible thing the Catamount Trail Association is doing. Well, let's bring in Matt Williams, the executive director of the Catamount Trail Association for, I believe it's the past six years. Um, the very first executive director was Ben Rose. So he, Ben, uh, skied himself into his first job. So uh, very clever. $75 a week. 
$75 a week. Um, so Matt, what this idea that was born on the eve of a big ski adventure to have an organization, the Catamount Trail Association, talk about what the Catamount Trail Association is today. Yeah, it, 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 it's grown and, and grown and grown. And, and uh, it's a, a testament, I think, to the community. I think at its core, that's that's what it has become is a is a statewide community that is is dedicated to the winter landscape in Vermont, to to skiing and um, winter recreation in general, and and to really getting people outside in the woods, particularly in winter. Um, and and so I think the organization in its growth has, you know, over time uh expanded its scope and and taken on more as we've moved from simply building a trail to taking a more holistic approach to what does access mean i think at at its core what we at our core what we believe is that time spent in the woods is a really powerful thing right that that as people and as as a state and as a community um we're better off for for people spending time outside um on, on a personal level, we're better. Um, it helps build community. It helps build relationships. Helps build connection to place, um, and that it's a really powerful thing. And so we work to steward the Catamount Trail to expand backcountry ski zones, um, and and expand access and trails and parking lots and all those sorts of things. We're engaged in conservation work um, in a state like Vermont, where a lot of land is privately held to permanently protect those resources so that future generations can access them. And then we have programs and youth programs are, are a huge component of that and tours are a piece of that and community ski days to really get people out using the trail and out skiing and and we recognize that just because trails are free doesn't mean that everybody can get out and use them and so our youth programs are really focused in places where um, there aren't existing avenues for for people to get out and ski there aren't existing programs uh, we work with 1500 plus youth a year in nine counties across the state and in a typical year 75 80% of those kids had never never skied before um skiing with one of those programs and we do our best to work with students over the course of the winter and to work with them over the course of multiple years and really try to um build connection to the sport and skills and and community through through those efforts and um so i i, I think uh it's it's been exciting to see that that growth and that evolution of the organization and i think um one of the strengths of the catamount trail association over the years is that um the the trail is still central to what we do and um and has remained a core part of the mission but the organization has has really grown with the sport the sport backcountry skiing looks a lot different than it did in 1984 the community has grown and expanded and i think the organization has really adapted and and grown and and expanded along with that that community and continues to evolve um, to meet the needs of skiers and and um, help us all have more fun outside in the woods. The Catamount Trail is roughly three hundred miles long, the longest uh, I believe long distance ski trail in the country. Matt, how much of the trail is uh, protected in perpetuity now? Over three quarters of the trail is permanently protected uh, through a mixture of placement on public land and conservation easements, uh, long-term license agreements. And so 
Uh, it, it's an incredible coalition that supports this access. We work with the state of Vermont. We work with the Green Mountain National Forest. We work with municipalities up and down the state and close to 260 private landowners to uh, facilitate access to the trail and backcountry zones statewide um, and uh, continue to work towards a long-term goal of, of fully protecting um, all 300 plus miles of the trail. You mentioned that a lot of the kids who come out on the kids' programs have never skied before. Um, can you give me a, a, a little anecdote, a vignette that stands out in your mind of what that looks like for Vermont school kids to come out on this trail? Yeah, it's incredibly powerful to to see and um, uh, just something we're incredibly fortunate to be involved with. We. We have students all the time who come out and ski who um, are just not, are a little nervous about winter and aren't terribly comfortable playing out outside uh, or just getting out and skiing and they're, they're nervous about the gear or the cold or um, whatever else and to sort of see their confidence grow and to see them go from, you know, not being able to sort of make it much past the parking lot to, you know, being able to ski for a couple hours um, is is really gratifying and and uh, you know we often hear from educators that um, you know students who may struggle with some aspect of school really thrive in these programs and it's a chance for them to see themselves in a different light and to see themselves as being really good at something um, their peers see them in a different context and that translates back into the classroom and uh, so those those sorts of stories. Um, are, are amazing to to hear and it it we're sort of uh, just grateful to be able to play our part in in um welcoming everybody in, into winter um in in whatever small way we can Steve Bushy I wonder if you could um compare you know hearing Matt Williams describe the modern Catamount Trail Association and its myriad um offerings and um Compare that to what your original image or uh, dream was for this trail and what it could do to connect people and communities. I, it's, it's hard to put a pin in, in what my original dream was. Um, when Ben, Paul and I skied the length, we were so focused on making it through every day that we would, we would have many conversations with people along the way about what this can or could or should be. But I, I don't think any of us had a, a solid conception of where it might actually go. We were, we were happy to get out of the woods at the end of the day and have a meal and sleep in a warm bed. <laughs> that, that was our goal often. Ben, do you have any ideas? Um, so I I think when it really became real for me that was when we got back to Burlington after the trip and people started sending us checks and we realized we had to put out a second edition of the newsletter, um, which which we did from from our porch in Burlington. Um, and 
It was in that second issue that Jim McCullough from the Catamount Family Center pointed out that the paw print we had used in the first edition was actually a sloth print and we introduced the paw print uh, drawn by my wife, Lori. Um, and, um, and then somebody who had sent us $100 sent us $1,000 and we formed the board uh, with advice from various uh, elders in the community. Paul Jarris, I want to talk a little bit about the skiing. What was the equipment that you used 40 years ago? And, and talk about the experience of skiing it then. Yeah, well, I can say 40 years ago, the equipment that uh, we received from Karu, two pairs of skis, binding solvent, binding solvent boots, was amazing. It was, I mean, up until that point, at least I was using wooden skis that I'd pine tar every year. And then we get these incredible uh, Karu multi-grades uh, with a synthetic base um, that you, you rub with an emery board to activate them. And basically you could climb trees with them. They were amazing. Um, so at the time, state-of-the-art equipment. Now they were skinny skis, no metal edges. Um, the boots were your typical cross-country boots, maybe a little bit heavier than a race, well, a little heavier racing boot, but as by today's standards, nothing. And here we are, and, and it's analogous, I think, to the difference between the trail then and the trail now. Now I'm skiing on a fat 84 millimeter ski that's shaped with this three-pin binding that was as heavy as the binding I started downhilling on um, back in the day. Um, and, and they are incredible. Uh, again, I'd say beyond anything I could ever imagine before, uh, where now you can, I mean, yesterday I spent the day at, at uh, Bolton and I actually took a telemarking lesson coming down the ice, the moguls and everything else. And it's like, wow, and I agree with, with what, what Ben has said is it's like cheating. Uh, and and we also we herring boned up everything back then with our little skis and no metal edges and now you slap on some skins and now you really can walk up a tree um so the, the equipment is so different and just as the trail is so different than it was back then yeah, i think the difference on this trip is the equipment failure is going to be our bodies on this trip not the skis <laughs> matt williams from the catamount trail association what we're really talking about here are, you know, what some may consider barriers to entry. You know, this idea that you need fancy equipment, you need had to know how to do a special turn. How do you advise people today who want to ski the Catamount Trail what they need to have it be enjoyable and safe? Well, I think one of the beauties of the of the trail, and I I, I think this has held true through the years, is that there's really it's not one thing, you know, it's a contiguous trail. It's all marked. You can, you can follow it from end to end, but what the trail looks like really varies across the state. And so um, our advice is always that there, there's a section for everybody and there's a part of the trail for everybody, whether you're on snowshoes, on, you know, Nordic skis, on light cross-country gear, whether you have Alpine touring gear, telemark gear, split boarding, there's, depending on your skill level, what kind of experience you want, there's a, there's a section of the trail to check out. And so, um, you know, you can, you can start at a cross country ski touring center, um, where you've got some groomed trails and you can venture off those. Um, you have sections that are on old railroad grade that are, um, 
very mellow and predictable. And then you have sections that go up and over the spine of the Green Mountains and provide all sorts of opportunity for, um, you know, finding turns on the trail or venturing off and, and exploring the woods and, and finding some open hardwoods to ski um, and sort of everything in between. Um, we also run a, a whole tours program all winter. And so we have volunteers across the state who lead tours that are that are free to join. And so that's a great opportunity um, for people to, you know, if they want to go explore a new, a new part of the state, a new section of the trail, a new backcountry zone, they can go ski it with people who who know the area, who can lead them on a tour. We have some that are focused, you know, sort of aimed at, at beginner skiers. And um, and so you can hop on one of those. We have some that are aimed at more advanced skiers. You can hop on one of those again, sort of the, the full spectrum. And so I, I think one of that's that's the beauty of, of the trail is that it's it's a trail for everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, we try to work really hard as an organization to, to help people, um, you know, find find the best place for them to, to go skiing. Matt, yeah. talk about, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times backcountry zones and that idea that terminology may be new to some people. It's part of how the Catamount Trail and the Catamount Trail Association has evolved. You have kind of followed the lead of where people are skiing. It, it, say a little bit about that. Yeah, it's another... Um... It's another example of of everything old is is new again in some ways, right? It, it's uh, uh, it, it's it's something with a long history in Vermont, and we you know we, we don't have time to talk about the CCC trails and the the skiing and the the early the the early nineteen twenties, thirties, forties. But you know, um, I think it's one of the ways in which skiing has changed a lot, right? And and a lot of that's driven by equipment. It's driven by a few things, but um, you know, there are more and more people who uh, for a whole host of reasons, want to go out and hike up a mountain and and find some great turns back back down. And um, you know, backcountry skiing is big everywhere, but it's unique on the East Coast in that, unlike out west, you can't really see. Um, there's there's no big bowls or shoots or sort of obvious terrain features to go ski for the most part in Vermont. It's mostly wooded, and so you have to find these areas of the woods that are a little bit more open. Um, these hardwood stands that are that are open for whatever reason or where the moose have grazed or where there's a seat or something like that. And, and so there's been this long tradition of people poking around and sort of finding their zone. And about 10 years ago, uh, a, a movement started in Rochester, Vermont, and a bunch of local skiers got together and said, hey, you know, we really want to make this a public resource. We want to open an, an area um, as sort of a managed backcountry ski zone um, where where there's a parking lot and there's signage and people know how to get to the top and there are some lines that are cleaned up on the way back down. Uh, and it turned out um, there there wasn't a model for that anywhere in the country. The the U.S. Forest Service hadn't done it. The state of Vermont hadn't done it. They didn't they didn't really know what to do with it. And that um, is a testament to the community in Rochester. It's a testament to the Green Mountain National Forest sort of taking this idea and and making it real and figuring out how to make it happen. And Brandon Gap opened, Braintree Mountain Forest opened. And in the years since, the CTA has worked with local communities across Vermont and in northern, uh, in the Berkshires and northern Massachusetts to open up additional backcountry zones and to work with the state and the Forest Service to um, codify the management practices and the rules for, for what does this use look like and, and what does it mean and and how can we sustainably support 
telemarkers and alpine touring skiers and splitboarders to get out and and uh you know ski I, and, and snowboard in this way and it's been an incredible tool for for communities to develop community to bring economic um stimulus to rural economies and and uh um is really um an, an exciting thing to see happen across the state steve uh let's turn to you when you just when in your original concept for the trail and then laying out the trail you conceived of being able to do just parts of the trail you didn't have to ski 300 miles um you had this idea of kind of a, you know a smorgasbord of of skiing that could be done uh say a little bit about that um i i think that was just a result of uh, a linear trail uh skiing from south to north you're going to encounter all sorts of terrain and we when we were planning the trip, we were very aware that we would not only be skiing within tracks, and we looked looked forward to those tracks. We saw the ski centers as an opportunity to bank miles and ski through pretty fast without much effort. But we were very intrigued by the backcountry, and I'm not sure if we really um, were leaning on that term uh, of backcountry, but there were some pretty big gaps in our route that were through wilderness areas. And they were, to us, they were somewhat intriguing because we knew they would press our backcountry skills. We had to go in there with map and compass and uh, uh, pick an alignment and follow follow our compasses and use our best senses. and. Um, some of the backcountry areas at that time, 40 years ago, were very magnificent. There were areas up high that had four or five feet of snow on the ground. And skiing downhill through the pitches was like, um, you know, skiing on top of pillows. It was wonderful. So we were, we, we loved the backcountry that we did. And, but it was, it was kind of a, it was it wasn't a foremost thought in our mind at the time i think we were also conscious and steve by i know you were by putting together the many ski areas that we could that anybody could then access the trail and ski no matter what your ability level was there was some part of this trail you could ski um and i thought that's that was important then and it's important now that we don't overemphasize um, as great as the backcountry is, it's still somewhat of an elite extreme sport, um, whereas we want everyone to ski, including those ski cubs, little kids who can go out to a ski area and do that. Steve uh, or Ben, you wanted to jump in there? Well, I just will say that um, when Steve was a kid growing up in Williston, he was part of the Torger Tolkal and, you know, Ruth and her painter were teaching kids to ski in Williston uh, back in the day. And when my wife and I had young kids, we were doing the Bill Coke Youth Ski League, as it had been renamed, um, teaching kids to ski. And I think it's pretty unique how Vermont kids have the opportunity to ski right there. Um, and 
going back to the historical connection piece, um, a, a few things. First, I think it was Steve who said to me one time, you know, people have been putting boards on their feet and going overland as an efficient way of traveling in the winter for 8,000 years in Scandinavia. There's a long tradition here. And then also, I think, Steve, before the ski trip, you reached out to some people um, who you had stumbled upon in your thesis research. Uh, Rudy Matisich, who was one of the old timers who first brought skiing to Vermont. He was in his 80s, I think, when he met us in North Troy on, on the last morning of our ski trip. And uh, Lance Tapley, who, along with two buddies, had skied the length of Vermont sometime in the late 1960s. And I don't think they made the leap to a trail like you did, but um, Lance and his 14-year-old son came and joined us for one of those last days on the trail. And um, so there's this whole historical context of uh, skiing being part of the Vermont landscape and honoring that. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, I was very aware, we were very aware of the rich and deep tradition of skiing in Vermont and how it was held so much meaning for so many people. Prior to our trip, um, I met uh, a couple of great Vermont skiers, um, George and Evie Shakespeare, and they routed the trail the Madonna Vassa Trail around Mount Mansfield. And I ended up in a truck in my early 20s and they gave me a tour. They were 40 years older than me. They were our age now. And Clyde Smith was in the truck and Clyde Smith was one of uh, Vermont life's great photographers, again, uh, 40 years older. And we drove around in the truck. We were all sitting in the back of the truck talking about skiing. And I was kind of in awe of these 60-year-olds who had skied the backcountry and the hills and the, the narrow CCC trails um, and had so many stories. So I was in awe of these people. And the, the Catamount Trail was really a continuation of that tradition. Um, these names have been lost to some extent, and I'm so glad that we have an opportunity to speak their names and perhaps tell a very small part of their story. Because without those people, um, there probably would be no trail. And I always, I've always heard that we stand upon the shoulders of others. And Jack Handy is another great person. Um, Jack Handy and Jack Lesnick. And these names start flowing back to me. And, and, and they flow back to me with great appreciation. So I, I feel we've done our part. But prior to us, there, as Ben mentioned, there were many others. They're, hopefully, they're in the Ski Hall of, uh, Hall of Fame. Um, but there were many others that preceded us. I want to ask Steve um, something that was on probably no one's radar when you skied this in the 1980s is now central, a central threat to the Catamount Trail, and that's climate change. Um, 
how do you see the trail adapting to climate change? And what do you see as the threat to the trail in the future? Well, that that's a real, I see that as a real challenge. Um, the trail over the years has marched higher, higher up the slopes, and there's there's more snow higher you go. Um, but even, even in 1984, we were challenged by lack of snow. Before we started the trip, uh, we had a snow drought. I can't recall for how long, but at least a month. And we drove down to Southern Vermont. Uh, there wasn't a lot of snow, but there was snow in the forecast. And so I guess these challenges have been around. I, I feel better trails, better trail building, but Matt is really, Matt is probably the person, um, Matt, you should talk about yeah, this. Yeah, Matt Williams, talk about climate change and the Catamount Trail. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> Steve's absolutely right that, uh, uh, you know, I think it's it's always been a it's been a challenge for the trail through through the years. Um, it it's it's always difficult to get consistent snow across the state over the course of of the winter, and I I think that variability has always been part of being a New England skier. Uh, there's also no question that it's becoming more challenging, and that um, you know we're, we're getting more freeze thaw events and and you know, the, the data is pretty clear on the, the number of days with snow coverage shrinking over, over time. And, and um, you know, so it's something we feel pretty acutely. And uh, we're doing a lot of work, as Steve mentioned, you know, in areas where we can move the trail to higher elevation, we've, we've done that. Um, in many cases, we, we're also doing a lot of work to improve the tread of the trail and improve drainage. Um, to put in more bridges and boardwalks and and um, elevate and sort of harden the trail is the the, the term uh, to do the best we can with the snow that we have and to make the trail skiable with three to six inches of snow in in many cases and um, in some areas where it's appropriate that's meant um, led to collaborations with mountain bike groups and with hiking groups um, uh, which allows us to get more people out on the trail year round and expand the the impact and uses of it, which is which is great where it's appropriate, um, where landowners are supportive, where the the ecology of of the um the place can can support year round use. Um and then but there's a limit to it all too, right? And and the Catamount Trail Association can't solve climate change um by ourselves. And and so uh you know, I think part of our work and mission is to celebrate winter and celebrate um, the magic that is being outside on snow uh, and to remind people of of just how special and important that is um, and that it's something worth worth fighting for um, and working to to protect. And I would add the magic of Vermont and uh, skiing in Vermont because it's uh, there may be areas with better snow, but there's nothing like Vermont. The little villages and the mountains and skiing and yeah ben rose you uh, have a unique vantage point on this question about the future and climate change uh as the chief of uh, disaster recovery and mitigation for the state of vermont 
you've seen nature in all its fury and unpredictableness. What do you see uh, going forward for this trail that you uh, were part of trailblazing? Well, I, I mean, climate change is a cloud over on the horizon uh, for the Catamount Trail, as it is over everything that humans do and experience. Uh, and ironically, Vermont is about the best thing we've got in the lower 48 as a climate refuge. I mean, the, the scenarios for Vermont are pretty grim for conifers and for snow at lower elevations um, because Vermont is projected to become like Virginia, but Virginia has a lot of pretty scenery and is an okay place to live. I mean, if you're already in Virginia, then the projection is to become like Florida and it's really hot in the summer. So uh, Vermont is still gonna be beautiful and great even as it changes uh, and the, uh, the vegetation changes with climate change. There are still going to be times when it's possible to ski in Vermont. Um, and maybe humanity is going to figure this out and we're going to decarbonize uh, or maybe a big volcano will go off and we'll get a few years of global winter. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, uh, but the, the Catamount Trail Association also has an important role to play as a canary in a coal mine and as a group of people who refuse to give up on the value of winter, the possibility of winter, the future of winter. You spoke, Ben, at a recent uh, talk uh, that we participated in at the Vermont Ski Museum about not betting against the Catamount Trail. Uh, say say a little bit about that. I just don't think it's a good idea to bet against human ingenuity to solve problems at the last moment, and I remain hopeful. And I'll also say that um, I think being involved in this happy accident where we we had an idea, you know, a glimmer, Steve's idea, and we used this organizational structure, the nonprofit model, and really replicating what had happened with the Long Trail and the Green Mountain Club. And we watched the power of the idea succeed because of people cooperating um, over over decades and and people stepping up and bringing their skills and wisdom to the table. And it made me an optimist for life. I just think you can't watch something like that happen through human cooperation and not come out of it believing that good things can happen. And um, I, so I, I think that there's an element of, um, of optimism and just a commitment for people to help other people have the opportunity to experience and realize their human potential. There's just something positive about this organization and what it stands for. Um, and, and that, that uh, brings value to the Vermont landscape and to Vermont as a place where people can live. Well, on that note, uh, I want to thank all of you, uh, Paul Jarris, Steve Bushy, Ben Rose, and Matt Williams, and wish you best of luck and lots of snow on your next crossing of Vermont on skis. Thank you, David. 
All right. And that does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.